pop culture to politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A, a great day for a an independent candidate for president of the United States. Well, at least according to one poll, there is a shocking prediction of what would happen if there were a three-way race between Donald Trump as a Republican nominee, Joe Biden as the Democratic nominee, and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. as uh, an independent candidate. It shows Kennedy within striking distance of the leaders. All it would take would be a shift of 6% of the electorate away from Trump to Kennedy, percent of the electorate away from uh, Biden to Kennedy. And Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is the next president of the United States. Is that a nonsensical idea? Uh, we will get to that on the Michael Medved Show. Also, what could have happened in Gaza? And that's a question that's asked by Paul Kangor of Grove City College, who has written about the history of what actually happened in Gaza. Had it not been for Hamas and its interest in not improving the lives of people who live in Gaza, but their only interest being in destroying Israel, uh, following up that uh, slogan from the river to the sea, all of Palestine will be free. In other words, we're going to do something to get rid of the uh, nearly 8 million Jewish people living between the river and the sea. In any event, what could have happened with Gaza, and is there still hope for Gaza becoming like Hong Kong. It's very well situated. It has economic advantages. Is it possible, even at this late date, to take advantage of uh, those uh, uh, gifts, really, that geography has provided to uh, the Gaza Strip? Uh, Meanwhile, the uh, Jerusalem Post is reporting that today the Israel Defense Forces uh, said that one of uh, their aircraft uh, struck an ambulance which soldiers assessed was being used by a Hamas unit close to their position in the battle zone. In other words, this wasn't an unfortunate mistake uh, about hitting a ambulance. It was a mistake. It was a uh, strike by the IDF against Hamas terrorists. The IDF statement said a number of Hamas terrorists were killed in the strike and said it had information that Hamas used ambulances regularly to transport terrorists and weapons. And why wouldn't they? Meanwhile, we had a, uh, uh, with all of the talk about uh, at least a temporary ceasefire, uh, there is an indication of how ready Hamas is for negotiation. Uh, They issued a statement, all of America's enemies in the region are consulting and getting closer, and the day may come when they join the war together and turn America into the thing of the past. Uh, Thing of the past? Really? T-O-T-P? The Hamas official has made that statement. The United States was established by Britain and global Freemasonry. And it will collapse like the USSR did, said the Hamas statement, uh, which was translated by the Middle East Media Research Institute. America will not 
remain powerful. Uh, this is fascinating uh, because you know who the last force in the world who was obsessed with Freemasonry believed that Freemasons were running the United States because, after all, Benjamin Franklin was a Freemason, George Washington was a Freemason. And it says the United States was established by Britain and global Freemasonry, really? And it will collapse like the USSR did? What's fascinating here is a lot of anti-Semites focus on Freemasonry, even though there's no indication at all that Freemasonry uh, was uh, established or was led or was created uh, by pro uh, exclusively or even predominantly Jewish people. But uh, Hitler, when he um, declared war on the United States on December 11th, 1941, he uh, cited the fact that Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt, was an old uh, Freemason member. So, okay, now we have Hamas uh, actually connecting with its own Hitlerian past, at least in that regard. The, um, uh, there was a post uh, on the Internet from the IDF, the Israel Defense Forces. It says, just a reminder, 27 days have passed since October 7th. 242 hostages are in Gaza 30 of those hostages are children. 8,000-plus rockets were fired at Israel. 300-plus rockets, on average, are fired at Israel every day. 250,000 Israeli civilians have been evacuated from their homes. Israel is still under fire. Uh, this is actually uh, Secretary Blinken who is, uh, just did a press conference in Tel Aviv. He is in Israel again to consult with our Israeli allies. And uh, Secretary Blinken began his uh, statement with the press, his interaction with the press, uh, by offering this reminder. This is clip A. It is striking and in some ways shocking that the brutality of the slaughter has receded so quickly in the memories of so many, but not in Israel and not in America. 35 Americans were murdered that day as well, and more than 200 foreign nationals from 35 countries. I've returned to the region to engage in intense diplomacy with our partners to try to help ensure that an attack like October 7th never happens again. And in doing so, that we forge a different future a very different future for Israelis and Palestinians alike. That okay, that's uh, Secretary Antony Blinken. And he also talked about the need to prevent an escalation and a spread of this conflict, a need for the United States and our own security. This is the Secretary of State. Out of this tragedy emerges a better tomorrow for both peoples and for the region. There are a number of important steps that we can, indeed we must take now, to help make that possible. First, we need to continue to prevent escalation of this conflict. It's spread to other areas and other theaters. The United States has, and we will continue to respond to attacks by Iran's proxies to defend our personnel in the region, personnel who are here in Iraq and in Syria, 
to help prevent the resurgence of ISIS. We will do what is necessary to deter and, as I said, respond to any attacks. And uh, then there was more about uh, some of the new footage that uh, taken from October 7th that uh, uh, Secretary Blinken saw and that apparently moved him deeply. Uh, we will talk about that. Also, a, a stroke of good luck. Some people might call it providential, where a very heavily armed drone crashed into an American barracks in uh, Syria, where we do have uh, several hundred, it's not thousands, it's several hundred uh, armed uh Americans there, and the uh, heavily armed drone, which was supposed to explode, didn't. And uh, the statement from our military is that uh, this uh, dud, in terms of uh, the drone, uh, may have saved American lives. Uh, that's why there is the ongoing concern uh, that uh, this does not become a full-out war involving the Iranians and their proxies from uh, Hezbollah and more. Uh, we will get back to the latest, what it is that uh, changed uh, Antony Blinken's perspective that he... Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State, is uh, in uh, Israel now with further consultations. Of course, the United States is uh, pushing for at least uh, some uh, temporary pauses. They don't describe them as a ceasefire in uh, the battle to uh, allow civilians to get out of arm's way as much as they possibly can. There is more coverage on that issue about an ambulance being hit in uh, North Gaza. It was near a hospital, apparently. But uh, Israel insists that the ambulance uh, was uh, carrying weapons and fighters from uh, the Hamas because in the basement of that hospital underneath where they have the tunnels, what they refer to as the metro in Gaza City, underneath the hospital is a major his, uh, Hamas command center. Um, Antony Blinken, the Secretary of State, saw more footage taken from October 7th, which he described at his press conference this morning. This is clip three. Today, we saw additional images, additional footage collected by the Israeli government from video cameras, some the terrorists own, uh, others in communities that were attacked. It remains almost beyond the human capacity to process, to digest. I saw, for example, a family on a, a kibbutz, a father two young boys, maybe 10, 11 years old, grabbing them, 
pulling them out of their living room, going through their very small backyard and into a shelter, followed seconds later by a terrorist who throws a grenade into that small shelter. And then as the father comes staggering out, shoots him down. And then the boys come out and they run into, into their house. And the camera in the house is filming everything. And they're crying. Where's daddy? One says. The other says, they killed daddy. Where's my mommy? And then the terrorist comes in and casually opens the refrigerator and starts to eat from it. That's what we're dealing with. And uh, with all of that, they are at least not dealing yet in a full battle mode with Hezbollah, the other terrorist group supported by Iran, strongly supported by Iran. Uh, their first remarks since the start of the conflict uh, featured the leader of Hezbollah, Hassan Nasrallah. He um, refrained from prom promising any imminent escalation at the Israel-Lebanon border, which is very good news at the moment. But he said all options were on the table if the war in Gaza did not stop or if Israel expanded its attacks on Lebanon. Uh, the U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, is in Israel where he pushed Israeli leaders again to protect civilians in Gaza and to take humanitarian pauses to facilitate aid flowing in and the release of hostages. The word on the aid flowing in, apparently that is improved. The one thing that uh, has not improved has been the level to which Egypt is actually willing to accept some uh, Palestinian refugees. And speaking of Palestinian refugees, in Israel, the authorities expelled to Gaza thousands of Palestinians who had been in Israel for work at the beginning of the war, uh, sending them back to the, their homes in the heavily bombarded enclave. The Israeli, Israeli military said it remains on high alert on its border with Lebanon, where exchanges of fire between Israel and the Iran-backed Hezbollah have ramped up in recent weeks. This uh, idea of people... Palestinians from Gaza who were working in Israel, this marks uh, one of the, the truly important things to remember about the whole background to this conflict. The uh, Hamas chose to attack Israel at a time when Israel had only recently authorized 18,000 more work permits for Gaza people to get work in Israel and to come across and to show their passport, their internal passport, and to come across the border and go into Israel and work and then go home. And that idea uh, that uh, they are now asked to go back to Gaza, well, obviously, in a situation where there's a full-out war, which there is, uh, the idea of crossing the border into, quote, enemy territory to do your work, especially when there is violence aimed at that enemy territory, uh, that's, uh, that's not going to work. Um, 
here is uh, Hassan Nasrallah, the leader of uh, Hezbollah, the other terrorist group, the one based in Lebanon, uh, claiming that the Hamas attacks uh, had his very strong support and he's very proud of them. This is clip seven. This is the first operation which has been a historic point and, and blessed point. This was a Palestinian decision, 100% per, uh, and supported by the Palestinians, 100%. Okay, as when people talk about why can't they negotiate, when you're talking about, quote, 100% Palestinian support for what happened on October 7th, and then he, he said that the families of deceased fighters against Israel uh, and uh, their loved ones are now in paradise. This is uh, Hassan Nasrallah, the leader of Hezbollah, clip six. And we must remain firmly with certainty that they are rewarded with paradise, with all the rewards you never envisaged her or heard of. As God says in the Holy Scripture, those killed in the cause to the service of the cause of God will be rewarded with paradise as introduced to them. All believers, if you support and work for God's cause, you will be rewarded with victory. The same in Al-Amran Surat. Do not think those fallen to the service of cause of God are dead, yet they are alive, joyful with what they were, have been rewarded with, without fear or grief. Without fear or grief uh, or regret for the 1,400 uh, civilians, the hundreds of children, of grandmothers, of hostages who are still being held, uh, they are being rewarded in paradise. That's the mentality that uh, the world is dealing with right now. We'll be right back. You're the most brilliant radio talk host in America today. The Michael Medved Show. The events on the other side of the world are so compelling. They're so disturbing. Uh, they are so consequential for the United States and for all of humanity. Uh, it's, it's sometimes difficult to bring the focus closer to home, but that's important too. Uh, the city of Seattle... And uh, frankly, it's not just the city of Seattle. It's every major city in the country is having a tremendous problem with uh, the linked challenges of uh, drug abuse and homelessness. And they are profoundly and deeply linked. Uh, the Como News actually did a... Uh, uh, a very useful uh, report 
on what's going on in uh, Seattle with the city's new policy that's been uh, in place for two weeks. Uh, and it's a new policy criminalizing public drug use. Now, you would think that public drug use, uh, shooting up in public, uh, uh, taking fentanyl or cocaine or methamphetamines in public uh, would would be against the law. Well, now it is. But how is that working out? Uh, listen to the report on the public's reaction and the impact of this new policy. Two weeks into the new drug law on the books in Seattle, and it is a work in progress, we still found some open-air drug use, but not as much as before. He was in the middle, in the street. He was in the street. What do you think it was? He, he OD. He definitely OD. Shortly after we arrived, an overdose at 12th and Jackson, the city intersection prominent for drug use in Seattle's little Saigon neighborhood. It took them a few minutes to bring him back, but it scared the hell out of me. Prior to that, this woman, on the way to her doctor's office, went by the same corner. They're smoking fentanyl, and I just got a big whiff of it. It's just terrible. It's just two weeks since the police chief announced weekly operations that prioritize drug arrest alternatives such as treatment. It might take some time to kick in. Let's hope that it does. It might take some time to kick in. Uh, there's actually uh, a poll, and uh, people were asked... Uh, how long they thought it would be before the new drug rules uh, making it illegal to use drugs in public had uh, a, a decisive result. And uh, the uh, poll revealed that 75% uh, polled said it would never make a difference. <laughs> and and uh, other people thought it would be several years at least several months. Uh, there's more on this new policy and how poorly it's working out. Tam Wynn co-owns the Tamarind Tree. He is hopeful change is coming, but not sure how long they can wait. Right now, we are suffering. We, we don't know how long we can hang on. And we just, we, you know, we just go day by day. Customers are afraid to come. Service has dwindled. He's gone from 30 employees to eight. We're waiting to find out from SPD just how many people have been arrested or referred to treatment since the new law. We know on the first day, SPD interacted with 25 people. 13 of them accepted a treatment referral. The city need to use their resources to help the small businesses to get back on their foot and to help them to stay in the area. The new law makes drug possession as well as public drug use a gross misdemeanor, and it now aligns with state law. And uh, that's a step in the right direction, but is it going to be enough to save this uh, struggling restaurant, uh, Tamarind Tree in Little Saigon? Again, it's you think about all of the love and the devotion that is put forward by a family uh, trying to operate a restaurant like that, and then the homelessness and drug addiction uh, right outside their door makes it impossible for people to come there. And look at the number of employees that were uh, reduced and lost jobs because of the hardship of the people trying to run 
a uh, a restaurant. Uh, meanwhile, uh, vagrants uh, cancel youth soccer season. That's the headline. Well, this is kind of amazing too. Uh, another headline. This is from Fox News. Soccer leagues end season early. Uh, blames local Democratic officials for ignoring crime-ridden uh, homeless camp. Uh, what does a homeless camp have to do with the youth soccer league? Uh, well, listen about the cancellation of this youth co- soccer league season in uh, South Seattle. Uh, a youth soccer league in the Seattle area is calling it quits for the season due to an expanding homeless encampment riddled with crime. It's Valor Soccer, an athletic system that works to provide quality and affordable soccer programming to kids in King County, is canceling the remainder of its fall season, with the head of the youth program pointing to shootings and drug overdoses at the homeless encampment as the reason why. This is Dean Aldridge, the CEO of Valor Soccer, about the decision to cancel the schedule. This is 8A. Dean, these kids must be pretty upset. What are they saying? Well, they're just saddened, Jesse. Um, children should be sheltered from this. They shouldn't see this stuff that looks like a third world country. How close was this disgusting scene encroaching on the field? 15 yards away from our entry, from our gate. Maybe, maybe 10, 15 yards away. So they had to pass through this stuff just to go play? You have to drive through it to get to our field, yes. And the city doesn't care? Well, specifically, King County Executive Dow Constantine doesn't care, apparently. Does he even know that this exists? Uh, He knows. He knows. He just will not allow the police officers to do their job. We don't have a homeless problem, Jesse. We have a lawless problem. Wow. Uh, there, the decision was made after an individual drove across the soccer field at North Green River Park and doing donuts with his car, resulting in more than $100,000 in damage. Uh, this is uh, Dean Aldrich uh, Moore about the efforts to get the city to clean up that homeless encampment for years. Uh, listen, 8B. It's gargantuous. It's huge. It, it is, there's probably... Five, six hundred people living in this camp from doing dealing drugs to uh, prostitution to gangs. It's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. It looks like a cracked out Ewok village. They even have slides. What are the slides for? Tell me there's no kids in this place. Oh, my God. God only knows. It's so bad out here, Jesse, that the King County workers won't even go in there and clean it up now. Their union won't let them go in. They have to contract out so they'll clean it once a month and it all comes right back tell me a little bit of okay what do the parents say oh the parents are mortified um but i'm in a tough spot these are 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 underprivileged kids down here that are financially challenged if i if i cancel the season where do we go uh if i if i cancel the season then it's like i don't care about our poor children uh so i'm in a lose-lose situation the county's been telling me they're going to take care of this problem for three years now uh, and uh, that happened. And now part of this comes in the context of uh, a city council election in the city of Seattle, even though this is not within the city, I don't believe. But the the difficulty with the city council election is there are three incumbents 
who are uh, need to be voted out and probably will be, all of whom at one time or another supported the idea of defund the police. And the one thing that it's so obvious that Seattle needs daily dose of debate. I'm sorry, I um, cooled my temper here. You had me, my blood really boiling. The Michael Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, uh, there is an important uh, new piece, which I believe is going to be appearing soon in the New York Times. It's a piece uh, under the heading, What is Happening on College Campuses is Not free speech. And uh, the piece is written by uh, a number of students who are currently students at colleges. Gabriel Diamond, who's a senior at Yale, studying political science. Uh, Talia Dror uh, is a junior at Cornell University, which uh, uh, is closed today. Uh, They are not having regular classes because of the horrible threats that were made by a uh, crazed pro-Palestinian student, threats to kill Jews. Uh, Basically, one of the things that uh, was sent out on the Internet by uh, the offender who has been arrested is urging his fellow students to identify their fellow Jewish students, then to follow them home and slit their throats. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's that direct. That's what we're dealing with. And then there's uh, Jillian Letterman as a senior at Brown University studying political science and economics. And in any event, they've all gotten together and written a piece that says that since the Hamas terror attacks on October 7th, campus life in the United States has imploded into a daily trial of intimidation and insult for Jewish students. And by the way, the University of Pennsylvania is... Um, I believe it's one of the major universities with the highest uh, Jewish presence there with uh, about a quarter of the people who attend Penn, uh, as my father did, uh, being, uh, being Jewish students. And they write in this uh, piece for the New York Times, a hostile environment that began with uh, statements from pro-Palestinian student organizations justifying terror has now rapidly spiraled into death threats and physical attacks, leaving Jewish students alarmed and vulnerable. Uh, On an online discussion forum last weekend, Jewish students at Cornell were called excrement on the face of the earth, threatened with rape and beheading, and bombarded with demands like eliminate Jewish living from Cornell campus. A 21-year-old junior at Cornell has been charged with posting violence threats. Uh, uh, Today, I believe it's today, it could be yesterday, at at University of Pennsylvania, there is a student named Tarawana who uh, was leading uh, the daily demonstration for, quote, uh, Free Palestine, And she asked her audience to remember how you felt when you saw those images of the glorious, joyful, and powerful October 7th, where children were tortured and beheaded, uh, women were gang-raped and beheaded, uh, and and where 1,400... 
almost entirely civilian human beings fell victim to the terrorists of Hamas. But she thinks that was a great and glorious day. Listen. Friend uh, from back home recently reminded me of something which I would like to share with all of you. Do you guys remember the photo of the kids and men laughing and smiling as they sat on top of the Israeli military jeep captured by our freedom fighters? Yes! Do you remember that picture? Yes! How about the photos of the bulldozer breaking through the deadly border? Do you remember that picture? Yes! And the several other joyful and powerful images which came from the glorious October 7th. Yes! I want you to picture those in your mind. I want you all to remember how you felt when you saw those images and heard the news. I remember feeling so empowered and happy, so confident that victory was near and so tangible. I want all of you to hold that feeling in your hearts. Never let go of it. Channel it through every action you take. Bring it to the streets. Yes! Go down to the streets every day and don't ever let them feel that you quietly accept this genocide. Woo! Free, free Palestine! Free, free Palestine! From the river to the sea! From the river to the sea! Okay, uh, there's a problem with that from the river to the sea uh, because between the river and the sea, the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea, uh, there's a, a nation which has been functioning pretty well for 75 years. It's a nation called Israel. And the majority of uh, Jews in the world today live there. And many families have lived there. I, I, I know Jerusalem families who have lived in Jerusalem for seven generations. And the idea of what it means that to the people living between the river and the sea who are not supporters of Hamas, who don't agree that October 7th was glorious, joyful, and powerful – and celebrate it and want to recall all of its glories and all of its uh, uh, allowing fighters to enter paradise because of their commission of torture and murder. Imagine how you would feel if you were a parent who was making huge sacrifices, paying huge uh, uh, tuition to send your child to University of Pennsylvania. And let's say you were a Jewish family. A Steve Eisman, who uh, asked the University of Pennsylvania to remove his family's name from a scholarship at the university because of the university's coddling of anti-Semitic uh, protests like the one you just heard at University of Pennsylvania, clip five. My history with the University of Pennsylvania is, is pretty deep. I went there, my wife met, went there, we met there. My sister went there, my brother-in-law went there, and they met there. So I, a lot of members of my family have been there. I've gone back to the university many times to speak. Um, 
after a couple of days after the interview, I called my contact person at uh, the university, and I said, you know, we have we have a small um, scholarship that we created about a dozen years ago, and I called my contact and I said I wanted our names removed from it immediately. I do not want my family's name associated with the University of Pennsylvania ever. And why not? He helps to explain. This is clip B. All right, let me just say one thing. Um, you know, one of the things that the, the protesters are saying, and, and one of the things I really sincerely believe is that when people tell you who they are, mm -hmm. you should believe them. And the protesters, their slogan is, free Palestine from the river to the sea. The river is the Jordan River, and the sea is the Mediterranean. And free Palestine from the river to the sea means get rid of all the Jews. You know, the, the Nazis had a different way of saying it. It, it was Judenrein, no Jews. What, what we have in the protesters right now is dressed up in the clothing of progressivism is pure hatred of Jews. Any st my view is any student who holds up a sign that says free Palestine from the river of the sea should be expelled. Mm -hmm. That's not free speech. That's calling for murder. And by the way, Judenrein is actually um, translated literally as pure of Jews. In other words, to purify the land from the river to the sea. What the people don't answer who chant that slogan and who use that slogan on their placards is they don't make it clear, do they believe that all the Jews, and it's, again, about 8 million uh, who live between the river and the sea, should they all be killed, liquidated, a final solution, or just exiled? and just expelled from uh, a nation that they built. Uh, that, that seems to me a question that people, with what is happening on college campuses, uh, cannot fully answer. Uh, meanwhile, there is more on the drone hitting the U.S. base in Iraq. Uh, it's a drone laden with explosives. Uh, we will tell you more about that and what that impact is going to be on the American Armed Services and American foreign policy. And then what is the political impact of all of this with new polling showing unexpected strength for Bobby Kennedy Jr.? We will get to that and more in this greatest nation on God's green earth.